Welcome to the Flyman Fishing Show, where we talk fly fishing, fly tying, and everything in between. I'm your host, Scotty Davis. What's up? How are you, sir? All right, let me see if I can change my... All right, it should be better. What's happening? Not much. Just hanging out. Nice. So you're still rocking the Pebble Mine banner? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I still got that thing on my truck, too. Yeah, I'm still, still doing some work with, with that crew. Nice. Heck yeah. Isn't that over now? Didn't they didn't they win the battle? Uh, Yeah, for the time being, they're trying to get like permanent protections for it. Yeah. So that it can't ever crop up again. Right on. Well, shoot, man. I guess I hadn't seen you since that flood tide event down here in Charleston, right? Yeah, about a year ago, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. You're a busy man. I know. <laughs> then not getting home, trying to get everything sorted out after being yeah. gone for looking at your guidance schedule make your head spin yeah i know all over the place so I'm trying to get them all my striper days going now and i'll start working on alaska stuff and so you just got back into Asheville recently right yeah tuesday night nice from uh memphis nice arkansas mississippi that's where i've been since november sweet um well yeah we'll just do a short introduction and we'll just start shooting the shit all right sweet um, today we have John Smoko, Renaissance man, probably the busiest man in the guiding community. <laughs> um, looking at your, your, your calendar, man, it's nonstop. Um, I know you say you just got back home to Asheville. Yeah, just got home, been gone since before Thanksgiving, doing my winter waterfowl season, ducks and geese in Arkansas and Mississippi and excited to be home and take some time off and start sorting through all my fishing stuff and getting ready to do that for the next 10 months. Yeah. Are you, are you from that area you're from mississippi yeah i grew up in memphis and yeah started out as waterfowling um when did you grow up <laughs> when <laughs> i'm just still working on it yeah right um well sweet well how's Asheville? uh warm it's nice you know a week ago i was zero degrees with a foot of snow in memphis so i'm not complaining about the 65 degrees and sun that we've had the last day or two here yeah yeah that's how it is here it's like 75 it's it's hard hard to be inside right now yeah enjoying it tomorrow's gonna be cold again so nice um well, well let's just start start with your seasons the let's talk about the duck hunting how long have you been doing that uh, i've been guiding it for five or six years i've been hunting since as far as i can remember there's an old picture of me with my dad at his duck hunting club when i was about a year old on the eastern shore of maryland <laughs> and uh yeah as far as i can remember i've been been hunting ducks and uh traveled around doing that a little bit and still make it back home to memphis every winter and and guide at a little spot down in mississippi and do a bunch of photo work in that space and it's a fun winter gig yeah so what what's the similarities or differences big really guiding hunters than it is fly fishermen uh sometimes it's it's hard to get people up in the morning, especially yeah. running the lodge, you know, we're um, getting up sometimes at four o'clock in the morning and, and doing stuff that way. It's a lot more difficult than trying to meet somebody at the boat ramp at seven or whenever, whenever that way, but uh, still got to be organized. You know, you're dealing with a lot of times six clients as opposed to two clients or three clients. And uh, so if you're not organized, you can kind of double book or, or uh, get your days mixed up pretty easily. Yeah. And dogs, you gotta, you, you're in charge of the dogs too. You no, run, I don't run all the dogs. Unfortunately, my my travel schedule um, doesn't 
permit me to have one and just wouldn't be be fair to the dog i'd have to board him up all the time and wouldn't get to run around and take him with you <laughs> yeah thought about it yeah so, so you leave the waterfowl gig and then you start musky guiding right yeah i'll run some trips here in Asheville, do a bunch of musky fishing in, in february and march um do a couple things here and then um really it's kind of my downtime in the year um march is uh, April it starts kicking back up. I'll go down to Eastern North Carolina, start doing stripers, and then head up to Alaska after that. Yeah. So the stripers, uh, we were talking about that the other day when I when I called you. The, that's around the Weldon area, the Roanoke, the famous Roanoke River Run. Yeah, Eastern North Carolina. Um, Is that as big a shit show as I picture it being? Some days. Yeah. yeah. Some days it'll be you know 250 boats on a two or three mile stretch of river, but everybody. Uh, catching fish usually um numbers are down this year we had a big flood a couple years ago and didn't have a good spawn class so uh, i've been talking to some guys down there and it'll be interesting to see what happens i think there'll be probably be some bigger fish caught this year but the numbers might not quite be um what most people uh, expect yeah is that something where the state will kind of manage it and, and turn it into catch and release or is it kind of wide open for well it's always been uh April is keeper season and then May is catch and release. This year they knocked the keeper season down to just a week. Okay. But there's a lot of talk right now about what they should do to bring back the fishery um, as far as supplemental stocking um, or just reducing the creel in it. Or there's there's a lot of talk on, on what needs to go. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of people invested in it um, and a lot of factors kind of at play. So it'll be interesting to see what they end up deciding to do down there. Nice. And what kind of boat are you guiding out of for that? I run a um, low sixteen forty eight uh, jet boat, same boat I musky fish out of. Uh, custom built it pretty much myself. The neighbor's got a metal shop four doors down, so I just wheel it in there and do whatever. Oh, nice. And, uh, it's been a good boat for the past so many years that I've had it. Heck yeah! And you take uh, two or three anglers on that? Yeah, I'll take two to three, uh, especially when we have high water down there real rocky shelves up above so it's easy to kind of jet around and, and get to some spots that nobody else can really fish yeah it's nice to get away from the crowds when when it's busy down there yeah um so you're are you completely booked up for the striper season uh working on it i haven't yeah. even really reached out to anybody and people were calling me and and uh calendars filling up fast without having to do any work so that's i mean uh, as much as you can hope for as a guide heck yeah i'm gonna talk to my warden and see if i can bring the bring, bring my kid up there that'd be per be perfect um is it is it daylight only can you fish at night uh yeah i mean they'll spawn throughout the night you can you can fish but usually your best times are right at daybreak or right at yeah. dusk down there i know when the, the shad are running here for a couple of years i got like totally addicted to our shad run and uh Fun. i talked to a rental service in the lake about renting houseboat but i didn't quite tell them that i was going to take it down through the locks and back into the cooper river um i did run it by the dnr and he was like that's an absolute negative you know you you, you can't be even really be in there anchored up at night so yeah. that'd be cool to have a little houseboat operation just sit there and yeah for sure play poker that fish is fun the roanoke actually has a great shad run um i have a couple buddies that that do guide for the shad down there um but just a little you know little baby tarpon you catch them on four and five weights and it's a blast are those the hickory shad yeah, hippie shad, and there's some Americans down there too. Nice. So that's going on probably now. Uh, yeah, it's starting to kick up now. Really, into March, early April is when the shad fishing's yeah. really going off down there. 
Yeah. And I've heard stories of that river having, you know, 50, 60, 100 fish days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are some days where you catch 50 fish on top water. That's in crazy. An hour. I mean, it's as many as you want um, some days. So. That, that's crazy. Yeah. We're going to go down there and, and uh, good, a lot of good group of guides from all over that kind of descend there and we'll hang out for a couple of weeks. So it's a good chance to catch up with a bunch of friends and see folks that way. Yeah. Are your fly patterns you're using for that? Are they mainly shad imitations? Yeah. A little shad, a lot of clousers, mostly jig head clousers, um, regular clousers, half and halves. Um, keep it simple. They're not particularly picky. Um, just about any color with matched with white, white and white works too. Um, it's more about getting it, finding a group of fish and getting it in front of them than it yeah. is. Um, then being very selective on what they want to eat. You'll generally obviously throw top water when you can. Is that more of an early morning, late afternoon type game? Yeah, early morning even. I mean, some days it just goes all day. Um, it's pretty pretty wild to see um, when all the conditions are right down yeah. there. Uh, yeah, I grew up on Lake Murray in the Saluda uh, striper fishing. They they look like they're hitting on top, and I have never caught one on top water. You got to be just below the surface, so that's kind of intriguing to me. Yeah, especially with those lake fish, that was one thing uh, our friend Henry Callen, I learned from him mm. a long time ago when he was talking about how they'll come up and just kind of grab it right under the surface. And it looks like they're busting top water, but it's actually their tail flipping up as they're going back down. Yeah, he's great. Have you read his new book? I've not gotten a chance to read it yet. Yeah, it's super good. I was going to take a highlighter to it and start highlighting some key passages. I was like, nah, it's just the, the whole thing. It's just solid gold. Yeah, he, he really knows it when it comes yeah, to fish. For sure. Um, so the when you're not fishing top are you fishing super heavy lines like 300 grains or is it well, deep water on, on the flow there um i mean some days they're running six thousand, and we fished it as high as thirty-five thousand. um but it just depends on where they're sitting in the water column um you know i usually have six rods on the boat two top water or floating lines and then intermediates and then full sinks but usually it's a full sinking line and you're we're just swinging them out of the boat so are the females getting lower than the males? Uh, yeah, they sit on the bottom. It's it's hard to catch those big females. We do from time to time um, catch them, and they're in there. But generally, there's just so many other those smaller fish, and they're so aggressive. Yeah. To, to hit it before you get a chance to get to the big ones. I guess you could throw a giant fly maybe down there. Yeah, I mean, you could start throwing musky tackle and, and <laughs> get down. problem is there's so many snags on the bottom of the river that um, – it's not worth losing all those big expensive flies. Yeah. Fish a lot of times. So when you, when you pull up anchor there, you head to Alaska, right? Yeah. Usually I'll go back, uh, really Eastern North Carolina and go Kobe fishing or just have nice. some fun for a week or two. Yeah. I'm down there at the beach with some friends. Uh, but then, yeah, I'll take off and I'll head up North and go to Alaska and I'll be there for the summer. How, how long have you been doing that? Ooh, this will be, well, if you, we didn't run last year, but if we counted last year, this would be year number nine for me. Nice. So 2013, I've been up in Alaska. Heck yeah, that's one of those magical places, man. Once you've been, you're just like, ah, it's something in you. You got to get back up there no matter what. Yeah, you know. it, It's cheap. It's a cheap plane ticket. Um, I don't know now, but I was always flying for under 500 bucks where I couldn't fly to Montana for like 1,200 bucks. Yeah, it's pretty reasonable, especially uh, with a direct flight out of Atlanta for us down here in the southeast to just be able to hop up there, and it's about a seven, seven and a half hour flight. 
Um, like I said, they're usually below five or $600 to get up there round trip, but far enough away, if you're going to go, you should spend at least two weeks up there. Totally. Yeah. Um, most of your guests stay at your lodge for a week. Yep. So we're way off the grid. I work at Chick Chick Narrows Lodge. Um, it's a fly out lodge. We got four airplanes. We are, oh, 45 minute float plane ride from the closest road. Um, and then from there, all the guests stay at the lodge and then they'll send out a bunch of us to um, satellite camps. And Little we'll spike be, camps. Yeah, like a spike camp. Um, and they'll fly guests to us every day and we'll stay on the same river for oh, a set amount of time, depending on how the fishing goes and we'll pick up and move around. Um, we're lucky with our fishing program. We've got a lot of uh, different accesses and rivers that we have the ability to fish and uh so we don't have to necessarily fish somewhere if the fishing's bad we'll just pick up and go to the next spot yeah i mean it's, it's strange everybody has an airplane up there it seems my taxi driver my first year at anchorage he was like yeah i have two airplanes I was like what in, the, what in the world's going on here at least you have to you know there's no roads do y'all um you start their season with sockeyes or or rainbows what's how does that work uh, everything i'll start with rainbows um, a lot of mouse fishing. I'll be up kind of at the headwaters of the Nishiak River, which is pretty famous. But mm -hmm. about the time we're getting started with that, uh, the guys are starting to fish for kings in the lower Nishiak. And then we'll have a bunch of Arctic char and, and uh, Dolly Barton and stuff at the lodge uh, hanging out there. And then, yeah, about a week or two after the kings start coming in, that's when the sockeyes will start coming in and we'll fish for them as well. Nice. Uh, my main deal is is uh, rainbows, streamers, mice, and then obviously the infamous bead, um, a lot of that. And then from there, I'll typically do a lot more uh, silver salmon fishing in the fall. Y'all have a chum run up there as well? Yep, a lot of chums. Uh, fish all five species of uh, Pacific salmon, so. Always kind of consider them the Rodney Dangerfield. You know, most people don't talk about them or anything, but man, if you want to break somebody's rod, you get up a big old chum and a seven weight, it's yeah. it's broken. That's right. The way, the way they fight, I mean, just going downstream and just bulldogging you, just making yeah. you push them all the way back up. They're a lot of fun. So how many how many guys will stay at like the little satellite camps? Usually two to four, just depending. That could be a hell of a lot of fun when it doesn't get dark till three in the morning. Yeah, but I mean, we're so tired. And when you're living out there, you know, you get done fishing for the day and then you got to go split wood for your wood stove or yeah. <laughs> all those projects to do. You know, it's hardly a waking moment that you're not busy doing something. It's, it's not easy, but, you know, it beats sitting in a boat ramp traffic and, you know, waiting for the jet skis to pull out. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and how long will you stay in Alaska? So I'll be up there June till uh, about the third week of September. Okay when the trout get really fat right yeah they get they get real big they'll be eating all the decaying salmon carcasses and uh eggs and just whatever they can get um and then bulk up for the winter that's um that's always when i like to be there as late as i could possibly stand it i'm definitely not a, built for snow um but that late season you know you can catch a, a 28 inch rainbow trout in the in may and it's it's that's why they're eating mice i think they're just packing on so much protein but like you said after eating all that salmon they just they look like little sumo wrestlers yeah they i mean those fish only have what four months to pack on all their calories for the year so get back less of them just eat whatever they can get yeah most of your clients come coming for the salmon or are they coming for rainbows um i'd say the majority are coming for for rainbows there's a majority that are just coming to catch whatever we tell them to catch 
yeah in there we do get some people that are up there specifically to target either kings or you know silvers but, um, there's kings on the fly or a handful mm -hmm. what are you throwing for those like big black leeches and dalai lamas yeah big big dalai lamas yeah black ones pink ones um, that's an incredible pattern adam adam franciscini does most of the fly out king fishing um, yeah he's doing that while i'm up catching uh big rainbows on mice nice nice yeah so we saw him the other day he's uh right down the street from us now i guess he's back for the winter yep yeah good dude um yeah you took some your your picture portfolio has got his great photos of him and it's spot on i don't think i've ever seen him without a cigar in his mouth when he's fishing so yeah dead ringer um so then once you're done with alaska where do you you go where usually i'll just come back home hang out for a little bit and then i'll either take a trip uh host a trip or take a fun trip uh in the fall and do something that way where have you hosted trips I've been down to Abaco Lodge a couple of times. Um, and I used to kind of host a trip that I put together where we'd go take a sailboat out to Cape Lookout. Oh, cool. Sailboat for three or four days and then fish false albacore out of there. Um, so we used to put that trip together a number of years ago. Nice. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, COVID shut down a bunch of that, I'm sure. Yeah, the, the travel stuff really, I mean, it was wild to talk to, you know, everybody that was a local guide seemed to do pretty well, but all of us that, that travel extensively for it yeah got got hurt a little bit more but i think it'll come back hopefully that you know got, there's a lot of new people getting into fishing and they'll just want to continue to make the next step up and it'll be good long term for everybody yeah for sure i think that's probably one of the the few good things that come out of this is a lot of people have been reconnected with outdoors a lot of yep. states like got rid of fishing licenses like the state of maine they're like yeah you don't even need a fishing license you can just go enjoy it you know yeah, that's great, especially if you can start getting a lot more kids involved. In it. Totally. Off of the computer and iPads and whatever else and get them outside. Yeah. What's going on. I, I try to keep my kid off that. And he found our old Wii and I, I heard him playing. I was like, man, you're supposed to be doing your homework. I go in there and he's like, I'm musky fishing. And he's playing like some Rapala game. And his mom's like, turn off. I'm like, well, let's just let the kid let the kid play for a minute, you know? <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so do you still God for Albies? uh no i've done done some a little bit in the past i'm hoping to get back into doing some more of it um fall is always kind of a weird time i kind of just take whatever comes comes my way in the fall yeah because uh, i'm so busy i'm decompressing from alaska and getting ready for duck season and then just kind of trying to fill in doing what i can here and there uh, yeah that way and then uh just hanging out so yeah that's what they're one of my favorite fish. I don't know how I got so addicted to false albacore, but man, they're a blast. Yeah. Wow. What kind of sailboat were y'all staying on? That sailboat was a 30 foot Pearson. I had some friends that had it down there. It was anchored up in Beaufort. And so we just take it out there and, uh, heck yeah. Anchor up and cook on it and sleep on it and hang out and, uh, just tie up the skiffs to the back of it and then just go knock around every day. Nice. That's the way to do it. Um, so how'd you get started in the photography side of all this? Mostly just through all the travel I was doing. You know, I was traveling a lot, guiding, going to Alaska, doing a bunch there, traveling around on my own, fishing a lot, doing that. And then uh, for a number of years, I've worked um, doing events for Yeti. And that took me all over the country. And I was kind of traveling all these great places and started taking photos and 
um, was hanging out with a bunch of other people who took a lot of really good photos. And so I started, you know, kind of just picking it up and took some and then people told me it was all right. So I got a better camera and then kept doing that and then got a better camera. And then now it's just kind of something that's attached to me and goes wherever I go. Yeah. It kind of goes hand in hand with, with fishing too. Um, I know when I started guiding, I was like, oh, I got to get a nice camera so I could take all these good client shots. And then I went crazy. I started buying like photography magazines and all these lenses. And then I was like, my damn phone for what I wanted to do. My phone was better. And I was like, man, I just, I, I didn't have the mind for it. It got re real technical. You know, if you turn that, the auto settings off, it's a little more difficult than it seems. Yeah. It's, it's when you're, when you're guiding for yourself, it's, it's hard to, to make it all work um, yeah but uh yeah i'm lucky to have been in some positions where i've been able to to learn a lot and, and uh, kind of add that into my portfolio as well that yeti gig was probably fun oh it was so much fun that yeah. was back when, you know they only had the the hard coolers in two colors and i think they had the cups and just the stainless color and they were just exploding and we were going everywhere yeah and uh, that was a lot of fun. Got to drive and see the, the whole American West and, and uh, experience a lot of cool stuff. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Heck yeah. You, you drove around as opposed to flying? Yeah, drove around. Uh, we had a truck and trailer. Greg Morgan was one ah. of the did it with me, and me and Greg in a truck driving back and forth across the country. Um, did you get you a pig farm tattoo? No, <laughs> tried a couple times. they're trying to get me too. <laughs> he's, um, he's a good dude. You keep in touch with him? I do. Texted me this morning. I guess he's down in Louisiana fishing with Cameron. Oh, nice. Mortensen. Uh, so he got out of the long, cold Alaska winter and was hanging out. For a See bit. that, that uh, hockey rink he built his kids? Yeah, that's so awesome. Isn't that impressive? They'd <laughs> be a fun dad. Yeah, for sure. So how, how'd, you end, how'd you end up in Asheville? And how long have you been there? I've been in Asheville since 2014. Uh, my so my dad and I bought a property up here about 10 years ago. It was just an investment. And uh, moved to Raleigh after college. And then when I started guiding full-time, Asheville was just a better natural uh, place for me to be, to be in the fishing industry. And good jumping off point. I can come down to Charleston. I can go back to you know, coast of North Carolina and go back to Memphis to duck on. I can kind of be anywhere within about a day's drive of here. And, and you got beautiful water right around you too. There's so much to do right around here. Yeah. So. Asheville's gorgeous. Um, yeah. I read one time that Western North Carolina, just the Western part of the state had 10,000 miles of trout streams. I believe it. That's crazy. Um, so you get, you get to Charleston a good bit. It's only what less than four hour drive, right? Yeah, I used to. I used to be down there all the time, but it's been, uh, I guess, a year since I've been down there, since the last seaweed. So, hoping to get down there there soon. I need to do it. Were you an exhibitor at seaweed? Yeah, last year I was uh, working with Duck Camp. Oh, nice. So I drove their big tiny house all the way over there from, from Austin, which was... From Austin? Yeah, from which was an experience. Big house on wheels behind a truck yeah 14 feet tall and 20 something feet long and it was uh it was wild that's, that that's where they're based out of was austin yeah they're based out of austin nice so they're doing some, some fun stuff and, and great guys over that way so still working with them uh, a little bit doing some photo stuff with them and and uh, they got some exciting stuff coming up in the next year or two that i'm kind of starting to help them out with so 
Yeah. I took a, um, a photographer fishing one time for a catalog and he was so, so into the light, you know, the light's gotta be perfect. We were there at the right time. And I was, I was telling him there's fish coming. There's a fish coming. He's like, no, no, we're not, we're not here to fish. And I got so pissed off. I was like, you put the camera down. We, this might be our only shot. He's like, there's no fish in our catalogs. So I was like, this is, this is outrageous. I'm trying to debate the guy. And he's like, get out of the shot. There's, you know, the light's perfect. So yeah. that's good. Um, yeah. You need to get back down here. All the, I guess seaweed has been canceled this year too. Yeah. Um, I know there's a couple of tournaments coming up, so. This would be fun. Yeah, definitely. I need to need to get back down there and do some fishing. I've been been missing it. So. Yeah, it's been good. Um, pretty mild winter for us. Yeah, water ever get clear? Oh yeah, yeah, it's perfect. It's still good. They're starting to hit on top water a little bit now, so it's it's perfect. Um, so what do you where do you fish around Asheville? Do you like the little streams? Like we were said, there's so much variety there. There's the musky and you know lakes, little streams, big streams. What, like your day off, if you were just like, yeah, I'm going to go kick it somewhere in the woods, what, what would you be doing? Uh, if I'm fishing, I'm usually either musky fishing or I'm blue lining, trying to go real high up and, and uh, catch the little brookies. I really like doing that. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of miles of streams around here, but there's also a lot of people coming here to, to fish for those trout. So I try yeah. and stick to places I know I can get away from the crowds and, and do something different. Yeah, the brookies, you can definitely do that. And, uh, yeah, if I'm not doing that, I'm either usually kayaking or rafting, doing some whitewater stuff or hiking. There's so much up here. Yeah. Um, what part of Asheville are you in? Uh, South Asheville. Okay. So it's a good jumping off point. I'd be downtown in 15 minutes. I can be down in Brevard at the Davidson in 20 minutes. So. Yeah. Do you, do you guide on the French Broad? Yeah, I'll run some trips out there. Yeah. Every, pretty good. Know. Pretty sm- good smallmouth river, too, huh? Yeah, definitely. Um, as you go kind of into the around here, it's real sand bottom. But when you start getting into places that are have some rockier bottom, it's it's better that way. Um, we've had so many floods here recently. Um, just the number of fishable days has been down, but we seem to be settling into a little more normal weather pattern. Which is yeah, cool. I know that river gets it. Um gets it pretty good i think that was one of grossman's favorite things to say when i'd be trying to go musky fishing be like it's a dirty french broad today (laughs) yeah Yeah, a lot of days especially with all the the ag stuff in the valley and the runoff from that it uh it doesn't take much for it to lose its color yeah unfortunately but there's a lot of great you know organizations around here that are working to change that because there's so many people and businesses in in this area that are invested in that river um, there's a lot of focus on it right now cleaning it up kind of like the beer scene really boomed Asheville big time before all yeah. the breweries came out there it was I mean it's still a very quaint town with its unique personality but Mills River and Brevard those areas that got more breweries than people now it seems like yeah I mean just in the in the years that I've lived here I've noticed a, a big change and you talk to anybody that's been here longer than me it'll uh tell you the same thing it's it's wild um it's great a lot of tourists coming up and hanging out and doing stuff and it's good for a lot of my friends in in the fishing business um you know people come up and do the breweries and want to get a day of fishing so uh been good for a lot of people that way yeah Um, but also leads to some crowded streams and some other stuff but yeah it's all um you said there was organizations working on water quality Mm -hmm. on local level i guess 
yeah, Mountain True, National Greenworks, and um, a lot of the local TU chapters and everybody are trying to work to repair the riparian barrier on the sides of the river, especially in the, the more agricultural parts of it. Um, they're building greenways and um, a lot of people use the river when you go downtown in the middle of summer and it's bank to bank with people on inner tubes. Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's crazy have you ever been to helen georgia uh-uh. it's uh like a little bavarian town in north georgia it was a gem mining town and then before the the california and alaska gold rush everybody was in dahlonega georgia and helen georgia and then when everybody left i guess in the early 1900s they had to make it into a, a tourist town so the whole town's alpine germany like the huddle house is called the huddle Haus. the police cars are policia and everything's that german architecture but the uh the tubers in that river are, are incredible. I mean, it's as thick as you see more inner tube than you do water. But yeah. the benefit we found of that is the trout or get so used to it that you can basically walk around and kind of see where the trout are laying. And other times of the year when there's no tubers, it's game over. You got to hide and yeah. camo. It's the only benefit of that. Yeah. Um, That's very interesting. Yeah. The tubers, man. The only time I ever fished, well, the first time I fished Colorado, it was like that. I, I got somewhere on a wrong day, and it was like an inner tube hatch of college drunks coming down the river. And I was like, man, let's just go rent a damn tube, you know? Yeah, it used to be, um, you know, Dave Grossman and I used to fish a lot for smallmouth through town. Um, and now it's just so overrun with, with tourists and tubers um, yeah. that it's just hard to even get a raft in to go do anything down there. Right. He's a lot of fun on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> so, a lot of days with him. Yeah. <laughs> that explains a lot. Uh -huh. I actually oh. used to build houses for him here when I first moved here. Oh, yeah? Worked on a framing crew swinging hammers for him. Nice. I know. He's still he's still pretty busy with that. Mm -hmm. Did you see they just redesigned the Scoff website? That looks really good. Yeah, he's telling me about it. I haven't had a chance to, to look at it. Um, so I'm excited to go go do that and hopefully get a chance to catch up with him here soon now that I'm home. Yeah, heck yeah. Um, so you said you grew up in Mississippi hunting. Did you do a lot of fishing growing up too? A little bit. Uh, in Memphis, a lot of bass fishing. Uh, my first memory was going to a pond at the one of the tractor dealerships in Memphis at a Bill Dance Junior Fishing Rodeo. I was about four <laughs> years old and Bill Dance was helping me catch catfish with a hot dog and some crawfish yeah. tracking in this little, little pond. Um, but I didn't do too much fishing. You know, every time, every chance we'd go, we'd go to Pickwick Lake or something like that and go bass fishing, but never really grabbed me that way. Um, there's a lot of actually really good crappie fishing down in, in North Mississippi and some of those lakes down there. But it really wasn't until I, I moved up to Knoxville for school. Uh, and then when I was over at the coast um, in the summertime, working over there that, you know, I started getting into the coastal fishing and I also started getting into the mountain fishing up in Knoxville. Was that the Clinch River? Yeah, the Clinch, the Holston, the French Broad, all the lakes around there and, yeah. and Smoky Mountain National Park. And um, there's so much water to fish over there too. Yeah, a lot of variety there too. That's a gorgeous place. Mm -hmm. um, so when you were little, when did the fly, when did the fly tying start? 
tying and fishing, it really wasn't until I was, like I said, when I was in Knoxville, probably oh, 18 years old. You know, I was, I was interested in it and I had new people that did it, but never really had a chance. So, you know, most, most people fly fishing in Memphis will go over and fish the little red or the white in Arkansas. And um, we just never really made it over that way very often. And it's not something that I really had, my dad wasn't into. So it's not something I got to do a lot growing up. But when I was in Knoxville, and kind of around it I just ended up just randomly buying a, a fly rod one day and, and I'm going to start learning how to do this and then kind of went off the deep end and ended up living in a tent in Alaska <laughs> years later so dreams man those are good dreams the uh the I guess the fly tying just came naturally for it with it yeah it just kind of came as just a progression you know same time I know a lot of people get the advice right around the same time they get the rods yeah, you start fishing, you start doing stuff, and, and start tying some flies. And yeah, and look back, I think I still have some of the first flies that I tied that I thought were good. And looking back now, it's like, oh, they're terrible. Well, looking behind you with those rods rigged on the wall, looks like a couple of parakeets hanging back there. Did you tie those musky flies? Uh, yeah, one of them, one of them's mine. A couple of them are from some other folks, but yeah, muskies, musky flies are a lot of fun to tie. I like yeah. tying big flies and streamers and things that way is that what you're doing now trying to get ready for musky trips uh no the good thing about musky flies is you don't you don't go through too too many of them don't lose a lot but my next deal will be tying up probably a couple hundred clouds of minnows and bait fish patterns for striper season heck yeah gig. heck yeah um well, when we're done i want to pick your brain on some dates i want to bring my kid up there yeah let's do it it'd be awesome um and so it, generally generally you said april is catch and keep and then may is catch and release yeah said, this year with the with there's a age class of fish that didn't do so well didn't have a great spawn so this year they've changed the the keeper season it's only the last week of april um usually it goes about through the whole month um, this year it'll just be the last week so that's the week i don't want to be there yeah nobody really knows what's going to happen you know it might just deter some people from coming all together yeah that's true you know it might force everybody into coming at the same time but i think it'll probably be about probably about normal traffic um, but i'm usually only there for four or five days of keeper season anyways um, yeah most of my guys are catch and release fly and that's may first two weeks of May. Really. nice yeah i'm definitely in for that um you tie all the flies for alaska as well all your clients flies or kind of tell them what to bring we're lucky um we order it all the lodge gets it all um, heck yeah i mean as if you had a natural row bead or natural row bead and a um black and white dolly llama you could probably you know clean up all, all season up there yeah, <laughs> anything black i remember the first couple of years i went there i tied just a normal normal size uh, woolly booger but i put like really obnoxiously large lead eyes on it and it just it was like a vacuum cleaner just caught everything because it was bouncing hook point up right on the bottom oh yeah kind of that was before jig hooks kind of were a thing i guess now that'd be a little easier to do yeah for sure so you're 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 taking clients this year at tick chick Yep, we're full, fully booked. Most everybody rolled over their deposits from last year, which is uh, exciting. We normally do have have limited spots um, or wait lists for our prime weeks up there, which is great. Um, can't say enough. It's a great place to work. Really enjoyed my time there. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and Adam's a good dude too. I guess he's going back as well. 
Yep, Adam's the one who actually got me hooked up over at Chick Chick. I, nice. met him. I was working at a different lodge and we were guiding the same river and um, kind of knew him through some of the events down in Charleston and, and up here in Asheville kind of, you know, 10 years ago, back when we were all running around doing all that stuff. <laughs> having all that fun yeah and, uh yeah he's like you should come up to take shape so i called him up and ended up moving up there and it's been a great decision heck yeah man it's like i said a beautiful place it gets in your soul it really does it's it's uh about this time of year you know you get back in september october and you're like i'm done yeah and not to have to go back and then you get to this time of year and you're ready you spent you spend any time in anchorage Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I have, I have quite a few friends there just from the years I've spent up there. Usually go try and spend four or five days on the front end of the season and just go knock off some of the tourist stuff little by little. Yeah. Go eat at the Moose's Tooth. Yep. God bless. I, I, can't, I love that place. Yeah, it's a great spot. And um, two of my friends that I hang out with were um, used to cook at a different lodge that I worked at, and now they own their own. Uh, kind of culinary businesses in, in Anchorage, so they know all the, the best spots to go eat and do all in town. So love going and hanging out with them. And yeah, do your do you take your clients from Anchorage? Like, do they fly into Anchorage and then I guess Lake Hood is the the seaport there or the where all the planes take off? Yeah, so for our Alaska clients, you, <clears throat> they fly into Anchorage and then we actually charter a commercial flight uh, out to the little town in Dillingham. And then we pick them up in Dillingham, jump them over, drive them up the road about half an hour um, to Lake Oleknagik, and we hop on an airplane and fly out into the middle of the Alaskan wilderness. Very cool. What kind of planes are y'all flying? We've got three beavers on float oh. and a 206. Man, that beaver is the sexiest airplane ever. Yeah, that's it's unbelievable. We wouldn't be able to do anything up there without that airplane. What do you know? What year they are? They are. I think two, 254s and a 55. Heck yeah. That is, I've heard you can just load those things down with as much gear as you want. You don't. Yeah, they're constantly being flown around. I mean, we have to, everything that gets out to that lodge has to be flown. So uh, refrigerators, boats strapped to the outside, fuel, groceries, <laughs> baggage people everything comes in and out on on those airplanes yeah i went to, to that lake hood in anchorage just to watch the planes take off because they said it was the busiest seaplane port in the world and it wasn't that busy and it looked like a water ski park at sea world you know it was a surreal situation but you did get to see some really cool planes taking off oh yeah there's there's a lot even if you just drive around and kind of peek through the the fences into some of those parking lots where they've got them all stashed. Yeah. We've uh, been fortunate to fly on a lot of different ones. One of the cooler ones to flown on up there was a Grum and Goose. Very uh, cool. It's the one that lands on its hull, right? Yeah, it lands on the belly and then it puts the wheels down and then you drive up on the beach and it's got the two propellers. It was, I think, the, the most recent like 18 movie or something. They had one in there. And Didn't Jimmy Buffett have one of those? I think he had, so there's like four or five different, there's a, when a widgeon, a mallard, a goose, and an albatross. And an albatross was the big, big one that I think Jimmy Buffett had. And the goose is the one step down from that. Y'all took clients in that? Yeah, that's how the, the lodge I was working at, at that point. That's We brought all our clients in on the goose in and out. <laughs> that's uh, awesome. It's the yeah. little crazy stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And the, <clears throat> we've seen, you know, 
the goose and helicopters. First, first place I ever worked at that, down there, we did heli flyouts, so hot fuel, hot refueling helicopters, and um, it's that's one of the huge bonuses of working up there is just being around all that cool machinery and, and aircraft and planes and just, so so few people. Yeah, just as part of the the whole experience, it's really neat. Yeah, awesome. What's your plans today? Today, to just clean up the house. I got to get my boat covered back up and uh, working on welding stuff and picking up sticks in my yard and all the things I got to get caught up on after being gone for three months. Yeah. Yep. Um, what are you, what are you doing? You doing new stuff to your boat? You said you had a fabricator down the street. No, I'm, I'm real lucky. My neighbor four or five doors down um, is a fabricator for NASCAR race teams. So oh, he's damn. got a metal shop in his backyard and, so when I bought this uh, jet boat, we wheeled it in there and pretty much custom built everything on it. Um, so now I just got to cover it up so the leaves and the rain don't get in it. But um, I did talk to some guys earlier today about putting a new bottom coat on it uh, before striper season. And so just, you know, all those little things that you got to worry about. Yeah. And when you got in, yeah. uh, stack up on you when you got a lot of days. Behind the scenes. Yeah, all the stuff that nobody sees. Yeah, right. Well, awesome, dude. Um, good talking to you, and we will uh, be in touch soon. We'll put some links up to all your all your great photos and everything on the on the site too. Yeah, cool. Good. Very yeah, much. yeah, have a great one. Yeah.